Let's pray this morning. Our God, as we we come to you this day, we are so thankful that you are faithful, that you will keep us, us secure in Christ until the day when you return. Oh Lord, we are not used to things that are fixed and things that are sure. Our world is ever changing. And Lord, the, the things that we go through on this earth are many times difficult. And yet, Lord, we have sung this morning. We have prayed this morning of your faithfulness in those times. And we pray now that as we come before you, that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would speak to us through your word to know how you not only save us, but you have saved us to love others. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word. And may we not just see commands that we are to do, but may we see our God. May we see our Savior. And may you compel us, O Lord, to worship you as we hear your word this day. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. I know one of the interesting things, you know, is whenever you're studying a topic of Scripture is then you begin to read other scriptures and you begin to see that topic everywhere. And that is very much true when it comes to love. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13 for several months now, and it, it does. It seems like everywhere I open the scriptures, it's like the Bible is talking about love. Colossians 3:14, put on love. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, follow after love. Philippians 1, 9, abound in love. Hebrews 13, 1, continue in love. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 says increase in love. First Peter, be fervent in love. Philippians, be consistent in love. Hebrews 10, 24, provoke each other to love. Second Corinthians, be sincere in love. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And I think with this particular topic especially, it's evident because it's sort of the, the pinnacle or, or the peak of, of the wholeness for the Christian that a healthy Christian, one who is happy, one who is positive, one who is maturing, one who is used of the Lord, is a person who loves. And hopefully you have a little bit better idea of what love truly is, because we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13. And so I want us to see um, and just be reminded what we've already looked at. So let me just go really quickly. You can follow along if you want in your scriptures. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4, we saw, first of all, that love is patient, that it's patient with other people. Now, as you're, as you're reading, as we're reading through these things, don't just phase out, okay? Don't just phase out. Think about your life. Think about your daily interaction with your coworkers or with your wife or with your kids or or whatever, you know, and 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 just reflect on this and think, is this me? Is this what I see in my life? Love is patient, patient with other people. Love is kind. That means it's useful to others. Its highest privilege is to serve other people. Love does not envy. In other words, it's not jealous and it did not it desires nothing but to give to others. Uh, love does not boast. In other words, it doesn't brag. It's not always shooting off its mouth in order to make others feel inferior and to build ourselves up in the sight of others. Love is not arrogant. In other words, inwardly, it does not have an exaggerated opinion of itself. 
verse five, love is not rude. It, it never acts selfishly. It considers what is essential to the happiness of others, not to our own happiness. Uh, love does not insist on its own way. It doesn't seek its own. And, and that's really, this is probably the key to this description of love. Love is totally unselfless. Uh, it is the very opposite of being self-centered. Love is not irritable. That means love doesn't get upset or irritated or angry. Of course, that never happens in any of our homes, right? Love is not resentful. We saw that when we looked at that, that that's really an accounting term. Love, in other words, love doesn't keep uh, a record of the wrongs it's done, a book of offenses, and but instead love forgives. It never makes memories out of wrongdoings. It's not constantly bringing up uh, the wrongs that others have done. We talked about how as, as uh, and we, when we walk in the flesh, what we want to do is we want to take these things that other people have done against us and whenever they, uh, then whenever they confront us with our sin, we want to take out something they've done wrong, like a little hand grenade, and throw it at them. And boom, it blows up in their face, and which then gives them a little bit of, gives you a little bit of space from the attack that they're making upon you. You know, that can be our temptation. But love is not resentful. Six, love does not rejoice at wrong. In other words, love has no pleasure in hearing or repeating unrighteousness. It's never happy about sin, whether it's our sin or other people's sin, because it understands that sin is wounds God and certainly wounds one another against those that we've committed it. And love also rejoices with the truth, not only when the truth is taught, but when the truth is lived out as well. So now... We finally come to verse 7, and uh, which is sort of the crescendo of what Paul has been talking about as he's been describing this thing called love. And, you know, this isn't romantic love. We're talking about agape love, okay? And Paul gives us sort of the final four elements or characteristics of love. He said, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then finally in verse 8, he caps it off by saying, love never ends. Or maybe you grew up hearing, love never fails. Now, if you look at the bulletin today, uh, you will see that I had planned to cover love believes all things. But, but actually what I want to do instead is I want to cover the entirety of verse 7. Because as I was studying the passage this week, I realized that these four characteristics are really sort of like uh, a string of pearls. You know, it's not just like individual pearls, but they're actually strung together. And while, you know, just like with pearls, you might look at each pearl and they might look beautiful in and of themselves. When you look at a string of pearls or a necklace of pearls, it's even more beautiful when you look at it all together. And it's the same way with these characteristics about love. Besides, when you delve into each individual term, you find that, that they can have several different meanings. And I know I shared this sort of last week when we talked about how love bears all things. You know, actually that term can mean to cover over. Um, it could mean to support others with their burdens. It even can mean patiently put up with other people's sins. And, and as I looked at that individual term last week and then looked at how Paul used it and other places in Scripture, I even suggested to you that what Paul meant here was to patiently put up with other people's sins. But 
then this week I have to eat crow a little bit. Because as I was studying the scriptures more carefully and I began to see the interconnectedness of these terms, you know, sort of like I said, like a, a strand of pearls on a necklace, I realized that there's sort of a progression here that Paul is making and seeking to convey. Paul is sort of stringing together these four elements or these four characteristics of love to paint a picture for us of what love looks like. And so I want to to once again look at even some of the terms like love bears all things that we talked about last week. Because like I said, I first of all thought that what Paul was talking about was is that we need to patiently put up with the sin of others. Now, let me just say this, lest you go, oh, so you don't think it says that? Well, that's, that's true. I, I've sort of changed my mind and think that really Paul is emphasizing something different. But as we said last week, no matter which one of these meanings that we talk about, the scripture talks about it meaning that in other places. There are plenty of other passages of scripture that says that we need to be patient with the sins of others. Amen. And so we still need to do that. Even if Paul is talking about something different here, we still are called to be patient with the sins of others. But I think as I look at this passage again, I think what Paul is talking about is more that definition that love covers over all things. In other words, love knows when to keep things covered up or confidential. Love hides the faults of others instead of revealing the sins of others. Now, last week we talked about how, you know, if, if, with this definition, it does not mean that we're like sweeping sins under the rug. It's not like we're denying sin or ignoring sin, but that we are dealing with sin. But love doesn't punish others for their sin by making it public, nor does, um, nor does love cause shame or disgrace by sharing other people's sins, not even as a prayer request. Right. We talked about how Christians are sort of sneaky that way, that we will gossip about other people's sins by saying, oh, well, would you pray for so and so because they're struggling with this. And even in that, what we're really doing is our maybe our hearts are not so pure always. I'm not saying every time we do that, we're sinning, but but we can because we can really be wanting to share what other people's sins are. But instead, love seeks to cover the sin of others from public notice as long as possible. And like I said, but yet while still dealing with sin. So love out of a regard and a respect and an honest concern for the real value of another person because they are made in the image of God will do everything that it can to, to cover up or to keep private that sin while that sin is being dealt with. And so we need to be reminded of this because the, the normal for a depraved person is, want, is to want to uncover other people's sins, right? We sort of delight, delight sometimes in sharing other people's sins. Now, kids, you don't have to answer this, okay, out loud, but you can think about this. Do you ever find it fun to tattle on your brother or sister. Isn't it sort of cool to get them in trouble sometimes? Now, like I said, you don't have to answer that. But, you know, sometimes it could be like that. And part of that is, is we do. That in our depraved nature, in, in our fallen nature, sometimes we can seek to 
to delight in sharing other people's sin. Now, for it, you would think that when we get to be adults that that sort of goes away, but it doesn't. Now, we change the name. We don't call it tattling. We might call it office drama. You know, we talk about work and how there's drama at work, you know, where so-and-so did this and so-and-so taught his bo- told his boss this about this person over here and then they got in trouble. You know, so we sort of sanctify and call it drama, but nonetheless, it's the same thing that we're sort of sharing other people's sin. And so anyway, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this term because we did sort of talk about it last week. But suffice it to say that love is not judgmental. Love is not condemning. Love is seeking to redeem. It is a redeeming love. Love sees the wrong and love sees the weakness and love rebukes it. So it's not like we ignore it, but it also deals with it. It doesn't seek to expose it or to spread other people's sins. So I think it's good for us to even search our own hearts and to see where we are. To what extent do we bear the pain to cover someone else's sin? Do we really cover other people's evil or do we delight to sort of shout it from the housetops and to share it with other people? As we're talking to other people and we listen to our conversations, whenever we talk about sin, are we talking about our own sin or are we talking about other people's sins and shortcomings? Love seeks to cover or to bear all things. Second of all, love believes all things. To believe all things doesn't mean that that uh, a Christian believes absolutely anything that's said. It doesn't mean that we're gullible as Christians. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 14, Proverbs 14, 15 says the simple believes everything, but the prudent or that is the wise gives thought to his steps. So a wise person is a person who's discerning. You know, they hear things and then they discern, is this right or is this wrong? You know, so it doesn't mean that when it says we believe all things that that we're gullible. Some commentators even think that to believe all things teaches us to love other people well enough to believe the best about them. That that's really what he's talking about. So rather than simply accepting every word of malicious gossip that comes our way when another Christian says, oh, you know, would you pray for so-and-so? Because, you know, I understand, you know, they they sort of, you know, struggle with drinking a little bit too much. And, you know, so we need to pray for them, you know, that when they when they someone shares that, that we don't just accept that. And and uh, that that doesn't affect the way that we think about that other person. So rather than simply accepting every word of malicious gossip that comes our way, we should protect the reputations of people we are called to love, even including those that are our enemies. So love gives people, I guess you could say, the benefit of the doubt rather than assuming the worst about them and reaching our own conclusion about the secret motives of their heart. You know, love always tries to believe the best. So love is not gullible on one hand, but I would suggest to you on the other hand, the love is not cynical about people. Love doesn't go through life suspecting or suspicious of everybody and everything and suspicious that every time somebody does something wrong, that it confirms what we suspected about them. Now, you may say to me, but wait, Pastor Rick, does the Bible not talk about how we are depraved? 
And, and so doesn't the Bible talk about how we should expect that people would sin? And so should we should we not view them that way? And I would say that's true. The Bible does very clearly talk about that. But to, to stop there at that is only to talk about half of what the Bible says. The Bible also speaks about when we were dead in our sins, that God made us to, alive together with Christ, Ephesians 2, 5. So to be cynical of people is to imply that God is not at work in their lives to sanctify them. So in essence, to be cynical about people is also, I think, an affront on the character of God and to be cynical of God that, that he does not have the ability to change a person's heart. And so as we, as we think about that, we need to be careful about being cynical because the problem with the cynic is that he always suspects the worst about other people. And so even when a cynic sees someone do something selflessly, you know, he tends to think that really they are acting out of self-interest rather than taking the risk of being heard of and being taken advantage of. Sometimes we can be cynical about other people because we want to hold them at a distance. You know, we don't want to be hurt by them if, if they sin against us. And so we can be rather cynical against them. So love not only bears all things, but it also believes all things. Instead of suspecting and instead of being eager to criticize the offender, instead of saying, oh, well, they probably got what they deserve, love always believes the best. And when you love somebody, even when something goes wrong, you think the best. But let me suggest this. The reason you think the best is not because of something good in that person. Let me say that again. You know, the reason you think the best is not because of some good in the person, but in your faith in what God can do in that person's life. What you're really doing is believing that God can be at work in them. And so love bears all things. As someone sins against us, love is not out there sharing that sin with every, everybody else. You know, love is seeking to cover that sin. But also love also believes that God is at work in that person's life and is trusting the Lord to work in that person's life to change them. And so that brings us to the fact also that God hopes all things. You see, because love leaves room for the work of God in a person's life. Paul's saying that because of the power and grace of God, love hopes in all situations, including situations that seem hopeless to us. In other words, love never ceases to have faith, that is, faith in God, that he is at work. So love says, that as long as the grace of God is in effect, human failure is never final because nothing is too hard for God. And you see, that's oftentimes the love that we are called to have. But you know, for us, in our human abilities, we have limits to our love. It's, you know, even as parents, sometimes, you know, we can love and love and love our kids, but if they keep pushing it, if they keep pushing it, if they keep pushing it, you know, sometimes we're like, okay, we're done. You know, we, we seem to reach a wall. But the love of God is not like that. The love of God uh, hopes. We can hope because we don't know if God is done with working in a person's life. 
Because you see, sin alienates us from each other. But hope is sort of like that long rope that keeps us attached or tethered to those who stray into sin and maybe even are unrepentant. And it might be a prodigal child. It might be one of your kids or and this might even be an adult kid who has walked away from the Lord and, and they, they want nothing to do with church. They want nothing to do with God, even though you raise them differently. And it is love that keeps us tethered to them, hopeful that the Lord is still at work in their life. It may be a marriage that is um, on the rocks and you just think, you know, there is just so much tension. You know, how could God resolve this marriage relationship? And yet love continues to hope that God is still at work in that relationship. Or maybe it's an unbelieving spouse or maybe even it's a church discipline case. I know congregations that have excommunicated people and they are praying for that person that the Lord would change their hearts. And maybe sometimes that is years before the Lord answers that prayer. But, you know, I don't want you to think that hope is just wishful thinking because it does not depend on things working out the way that we have planned or having our problems solved when we expect them to be solved. On the contrary, our true hope is in Jesus Christ himself and his promises. And so like for our kids, you know, even if they might be prodigal children, you know, we have those covenant promises that that we hope on to and we pray to the Lord for. This is also the hope that we hold out to others as well. Maybe we're not going through difficult times, but maybe we have friends. Maybe we have family members. And most of the time it's beyond our problem or our power to solve those problems, you know, in the lives of other people. You know, maybe it's a believer that's struggling with sin or families that are having financial difficulties or parents that fight or children that fail or or friends that are suffering from diseases and death. But if we love people, we will not give up on what God can do. So there's always that sense of hope. If you bear all things and you believe all things and you hope all things, and, and maybe that rope you feel like is getting farther and farther and farther out there, and you're thinking, Lord, it's been a long time. I have been praying for this person for a long time, and still there's no change. You know, it, it's easy to get discouraged. But Paul doesn't stop there. He said that love not only bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things, but he also says what? Love endures all things. Now, that's, this is a military term, and it has to do with being positioned in the middle of a battle in a very violent situation. And it isn't that love can only handle minor annoyances. What Paul wants us to see is that love is standing there against incredible opposition and still nonetheless loving. And we see that in many cases in Scripture. I mean, we see it of our Lord as he is on the cross and they are crucifying him. And what does he pray in Luke 23, 34? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and while he's saying that, they're casting lots for his garments. Or even Stephen who was being stoned, you know, he saw the heavens open and and he started sharing with the crowds about how he sees the son of man, 
You know, and of course, the religious leaders are like plugging up their ears and they're just stoning him. And, and it says, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or kids. It means he died. That's what love does. Love endures because God is sovereign and with him nothing is impossible. So let me ask you this morning, specifically, how is God calling you to love someone? What people are you dealing with that are challenging you to die to the selfish desires of your own heart and instead to reach out and minister to this unlovable person? Maybe even a person that you feel is impossible. Maybe it's a person even that you feel like, you know, you would never say this, but in your hearts of hearts, sometimes you really wonder, can God really reach this person? Can God really change their heart? So in other words, who is God calling you to pursue? Who is God calling you to go after? Who is God calling you to walk the long distance with, even though everything in your being tells you that you should run from this person, that you should wipe your hands and you should just move on? Maybe God will challenge us as a church to love someone that we might be tempted to hold at arm's length. It may not be a homeless person. It may not be a poor person. Maybe for us as Presbyterians, it may be somebody who thinks theologically different than us. And so our temptation is to say, oh, you're not in our camp. And so we hold them at arm's length or we treat them differently. But do we have the patience to bear with that person, to believe and to hope and to endure? You know, as, as you think about this and think about the people that God has called you to love, I want to share with you five keys to loving, okay? And these are just very brief. Actually, uh, these are something that I read. I think it was John MacArthur who sort of laid these out, these five keys. Uh, these are not like five secrets. Basically, what these are are five truths that the Bible tells us about love and tells us about your ability to love other people as those who are in Jesus Christ. As children of the King, we need to acknowledge that love is a command, you know, acknowledge that it is commanded by God that you love. OK, it is an act of your will. It is a choice. So when there is someone that's before you, that's difficult, it may be some kid at school that's uh, bullying you or or being difficult or or maybe there's a group of kids that have sort of pushed you on the outside and they won't let you into their group. And you very much feel very alone and you feel very much angry with them. You know, but God is calling you to love them. Love is not something that you feel with your emotions, unlike what Hollywood says. Love is something you choose to do. So to be patient and to be kind, you know, all these things that we read in 1 Corinthians 13, we can do because they are a command of God. Second of all, acknowledge that you have the power already to love that person. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says that the love of Christ is poured out into our hearts. Maybe you grew up with a translation that says that it's shed abroad in your heart. It's not only a command, but God has given us the ability to love other people. But to love other people means that we must die to ourselves. What do we say? 
that love is the opposite of self-centeredness. So oftentimes what's so difficult about us uh, loving as Jesus loves is because we don't want to give up the things that we want to give up. But God says, I've given you the ability to die to self. Yourself has been crucified on the cross of Jesus Christ. So I've commanded you to love. I've given you the ability to love. But I also want you to see that love is to be the norm in the church. That's what we're all about. You know, First John chapter 4, verse 7. As a matter of fact, this is going to be one of our scripture readings for next week's service. It tells us that God is love. And so therefore, we must love our brothers as well. You know, that's just who we are, that we are to love each other. Third or fourth, we must acknowledge that love is the work of the Spirit. That's uh, so, you know, we can't just sort of conjure it up ourselves. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So it is the work of the Holy Spirit. So as we encounter that person that is difficult to love, that we should go to God's spirit and we should pray, oh God, I know you have commanded me to love. I know you've given me the ability to love. I know that that is to be characteristic of who I am as a Christian, but I am struggling. But Holy Spirit, I know that love is of you and it is, it is the fruit that only you produce. Would you please cause me to love this person? And then fifth and finally, we're to practice love. We're to just do it. You know, we are to love one another as we are commanded to do. So in order to love as Christ loves, we must trust God in the midst of our circumstances and our relationships. We must trust that in the midst of the difficulties and the inconveniences that we can trust the Lord um, as we love others. That's why we read, you know, Psalm 22. That's why we read, you know, whatever my God ordains is right. Even in those difficult times in our life, not just with the circumstances, but the difficult people that the Lord puts there, you know, that we can trust ourselves to the Lord. That's what our Lord and Savior did, did he not? When Jesus was sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was saying, Lord, not my will, but your will. He was putting himself, even though he was wrestling, he was putting himself in the hands of his father. And then when he died on the cross, you know, even as he's saying, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is entrusting himself into the hands of the father. And so today, can you trust God enough to love others as Paul calls us to love? Is God trustworthy enough that you can be vulnerable enough to love others without a guaranteed outcome? Will you love those God is calling you to love today? Will you obey Christ and do what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do in your relationships? Let's just bow for a few moments and have a time of silence and just prayerfully reflect upon the Word of God and, and, and ask God to show us how he wants us to leave this place and to walk in obedience that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers. So let's have a moment of silence. Holy Spirit, as we come 
we recognize that we are very prone to not be able to see the log in our own eye, but we can only very easily see the speck in another person's eye. We just pray that you would search our heart, O oh God, that you would see if there's any anxious weight in us. Lord, if you would see the, the sin and show us the motives of our hearts. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the ability in your Holy Spirit to love other people as you love us. May we reflect much upon the love that you have given to us. Especially, God, I want to pray for our kids. They've grown up hearing Jesus died on the cross. Jesus loves you. But Lord, I pray that you would bring these truths into their minds and in their hearts to understand really what that means. And even us as adults, may we ponder upon these things and see, God, that you are even still now expanding your kingdom and you are bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may these things humble us and may you love through this church, Lord, even those that are difficult for us to love. Please, Lord, we pray these things not only for our sake, but also for the glory of your name. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.